Woi woi, woi woi, woi woi. Then it then go on the radio again. Yo, if you wanna smoke free weed, go board yourself. You need to go plant a seed. Go board yourself, make your knowledge increase. Go board yourself, go board yourself. Hey, all right. Welcome to episode number 101, 101 of Grow Bud Yourself. We have a great show in store for you guys. We're going to break down a little bit of news. We're going to do breeding 101, some terms you need to know if you're interested in breeding your own strains. The interview is with Jacoby Holland. He's the co-founder of On The Revel, uh, doing a bunch of events and experiences and educational and fun stuff. We also have a cultivation segment for you guys with our strain of the fortnight uh, grow tip on how to get and keep a career in cannabis plus Q and a all brought to you by sweet leaf nutrients, Excelsior extracts and our newest sponsor prime superior inoculant use code PS 420 for 15% off of all prime superior products. And uh, here we go. Thank you guys for listening and we will be back with more of episode 101 of Grow Bud Yourself. All right, welcome back, and we have a great show. Like I mentioned, as always, thank you to DJ Jacques and Winstrong for the amazing intro song to Grow Bud Yourself. Uh, yeah, man. Episode number 101. It's hard to get used to being in the hundreds, but it's also exciting. <laughs> yeah, we only we only got to like, I think, 108 or so with the, the previous show. And here we are at 101. Should be able to top that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. That's the plan. That is the plan. Um, yeah, we got some exciting news. I should mention uh, we're doing a grow class here in Brooklyn. Uh, it'll almost be like a live episode of grow bud yourself because Mike will be hosting and I will be teaching. Um, that's going to happen at New York hydroponics. Uh, there's tickets still available, uh, only a few tickets available. We it's limited to only 30 people, uh, but it's a two hour grow class, uh, in a hydro shop, uh, with all the equipment there displayed. So you can, you know, see the tents and, uh, there's actually 15% off, I think on grow tent kits. If you buy the full kit, uh, during or after the, uh, the show, uh, it's a great hydro shop here in Brooklyn. It's on Union Street. Uh, if you're anywhere near the area uh, and you want to attend, please uh, purchase a ticket and support us uh, doing these live uh, grow classes. I'm very excited to do it. We've got uh, Hydro Farm is providing uh, some some uh, uh, gift bags for our uh, customers, for our listeners that show up and uh, paid for the ticket. And we also have... Uh, a free copy of my book signed at the event as well. So that's a $15 value uh, along with the free stuff you get and uh, the education. So hopefully uh, some of you guys might want to come out. I'll bring some grow bud yourself stickers. If you guys mentioned the show, uh, definitely get a free sticker your way as well. Uh, and we'd love to see you there. So that's October 22nd, uh, Saturday, October 22nd in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, tickets are available at eventhigh.io. It's eventhigh and then .io. Um, and, you know, I have links on all the social media and stuff. So um, you guys should be able to find tickets if you're interested and you're in the area. I've never done a class in yeah. a grow shop where you can actually, you know, you've got the tents right there. You've got the lighting. You've got all the systems there. I mean, so, so much of the mystery of growing is is the equipment 
what you might, what you need, what you don't need. Uh, and I'm going to hopefully be explaining all of that for people with that stuff right there to look at. So uh, I'm excited. I'm hoping we can do this, you know, monthly or weekly or however, however much kind of, uh, you know, interest we can get in it. You know, that's how much we'll do it. But uh, it's, it's exciting and it's a great venue. They've got uh, a burger shack right outside, uh, also owned by them. Uh, that you can get burgers. Oh, they're going to crush uh, it that day. All kinds of. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. I think so. I think so. I think it's going to be fun. You know, very exciting. It's called New York Hydroponics on Union Street in Brooklyn. Hope to see you there if you're in the area. Uh, purchase a ticket and uh, come out and support the uh, the show and everything. We'll be there. I'll be there. Uh, no autographs, please. I'm not doing that. Don't <laughs> don't make a fool of yourself. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's going to be really fun. That's uh, that's Saturday the 22nd, and uh, we are in episode 101. We have a lot of great content for you guys, but before we get to that, well, this is great content too. I shouldn't say it like that. Um, before we move on with the show, let's, let's do a little news. Um, basically, the big story that I wanted to touch on has to do with our president and uh, people... Uh, who've been following this, they probably remember that Biden kind of campaigned on um, on cannabis reform and then basically got into office and, and completely ignored it. And for, I would say, the majority of his um, of his administration, he hasn't really uh, been transparent about where he he stands on legalization, et cetera. And um, people think maybe he's only in favor of decriminalization. We're not sure if he would even sign a uh, legalization bill if it passes the the Senate and the House. But sort of out of nowhere, a surprise presidential proclamation, Joe Biden said he's granting, quote, a full, complete and unconditional pardon to all current United States citizens and lawful permanent residents who committed the offense of simple possession of marijuana in violation of the Controlled Substances Act. And this will restore to them full political, civil, and other rights. So Biden made this presidential proclamation last week, and he basically announced a three-step process. Uh, the first step is that um, that pardon for anyone who uh, federally was, was um, busted with pot possession charges. The second step is he's encouraging all governors to do the same in their states – and then the third step might be the most important, actually. He's calling for an administrative review of cannabis's uh, classification in the Controlled Substances Act. But it's interesting uh, because they're not exactly sure where Biden stands uh, with that review. So he's said in the past that he supports rescheduling to Schedule 2. Of course, we know cannabis is currently a Schedule 1 narcotic, which means it has a uh, a high probability of abuse. It has no medicinal value, and it's in the same schedule as heroin. Um, but Biden, uh, he's simply asking for this review and isn't specifically pushing for descheduling or reclassification to any particular schedule. And while the president stressed that uh, the review moving quickly is important, an official uh, for the White House said things would, quote, take some time because it must be based on careful consideration of all the available evidence, including scientific and medical information that's available. So let's just take a listen to exactly what Biden had to say about uh, about cannabis here. As I said when I ran for president, no one should be in jail just for using or possessing marijuana. It's already legal in many states. 
and criminal records for marijuana possession have led to needless barriers to employment, to housing, to educational opportunities. And that's before you address the racial disparities around who suffers the consequences. While white and black and brown people use marijuana at similar rates, black and brown people are arrested, prosecuted, and convicted at disproportionately higher rates. So today, I'm taking three steps to end this failed approach. First, I'm announcing a pardon for all prior federal offense, federal offenses for the simple possession of marijuana. There are thousands of people who are convicted for marijuana possession who may be denied employment, housing, or educational opportunities as a result of that conviction. My pardon will remove this burden on them. Second, I'm calling on all governors to do the same for state marijuana possession offenses. Third, the federal government currently classifies marijuana as a Schedule I substance, the same as heroin and LSD, and more serious than fentanyl. It makes no sense. So I'm asking the Secretary of Health and Human Services and the Attorney General to initiate a process to review how marijuana is scheduled under federal law. Even as federal and local regulations of marijuana change, important limitations on trafficking, marketing, and underage sales should stay in place. Too many lives have been upended because of our failed approach to marijuana. It's time that we right these wrongs. So yeah, um, I guess encouraging stuff from Biden? Yeah, I mean, it's encouraging to me. I know, you know, there's a lot of naysayers out there. First of all, you know, it's happening in October, right before the midterms. Uh, second of all, you know, he has sent mixed signals on the subject. And third of all, you know, there's not a super ton of, you know, federal possession right. charges that happen. I mean, most of the time, federal cases are for distribution and, and much larger Things, although you know, we do know people who have had federal possession charges, including my friend Chris Goldstein. So it is helpful. It helps not very many people right off the bat. Um, but I do think him just encouraging to, just to uh, uh, put a little uh, point on that. The White House estimates that about sixty five hundred people with federal cannabis convictions will be eligible for relief under that new order. Yeah, you know, and a lot of people will point out, well, that's not a very large number. That is a large number. I mean, 6,500 is, is a large number of people and their records are expunged and, and all of that. I think it's great, um, but it's not, you know, it's not the the end, right. obviously. You know, we want way more. Um, I think, like you said, the most important thing is to change the schedule and to look at that. Um, and I think it's very encouraging. I think what he said, you know, I mean, look, uh, the fact that he said it and why he said it isn't nearly as important than uh, than what he said. And and the opposite of that is not right. saying anything and just continuing the same policies. So it's actually a really good thing, even if it's, you know, timed uh, for these midterms to pull out some youth voters. I think that's great, actually. And you know what? There's no Republicans that are going to do anything about this. They've clearly made it very obvious that they are opposed to anything like this uh, for the most part. There's very few that of them that support any kind of changes in federal cannabis enforcement and law. So um, this is our only hope, you know, and I think it went a long way. Uh, it was obviously got a ton of publicity. It did uh, change some people's records and will uh, help them in the future, including people that I know. So anyone who says that there's nobody there, I, I can literally point you to people who directly benefit from this. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole idea of putting some pressure on uh, state governments 
to look into amnesty and 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 expungements and and all of that is great and then some kind of a case being made for descheduling cannabis is huge very huge so uh to me it's very encouraging i know uh a lot of people have you know just i don't know what it is stockholm syndrome or whatever you want to call it but they don't want to celebrate anything until it's it's all over and that's fine you know for for you guys but uh, to me it's something to celebrate uh, it's a great thing. I'm glad he did it, and I'm glad. Uh, hopefully, it'll pull some some more youth voters out uh, to support those type of policies. And you know, uh, I know there's people out there who disagree, but uh, I'm all about uh, changing these laws and making sure that uh, the the people in the future never have to deal with the stuff we had to deal with for the last 80 years of prohibition, uh, ruining people's lives and throwing people in jail and all the the amazing bad stuff that I can go on and on about. But to me, it's very encouraging. I'm really glad that he made this announcement. Uh, and I think there's obviously a lot more to, that has to happen. I think we need to keep their feet to the fire uh, to ensure that hopefully it doesn't go to schedule two either and just gets removed from the schedule. Uh, but anything at this point is better than what we're dealing with at the moment on a federal level. So uh, it's great. And I think, uh, you know, kudos to him and, and even to former prosecutor uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president. I think she's come a long way on this subject. And uh, you, you can't, you know, you can't judge people for who they were if, they're, if they've changed. And if she's changed and really does believe this, granted, she did some awful things in the past. But we need to bring these people along and have them understand whether it's law enforcement uh, you know, prison guards, whatever it is, they need to understand that we're not their problem and that they have bigger fish to fry for sure. Uh, and, uh, that we're also not a paycheck either, you know, like not just that we're not a problem, but like you can't use us to boost your budgets, you know, catch the real criminals that are trying to do harm to people, uh, and leave us alone. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I guess, honestly, I don't really care what the motivation is, uh, you know, if it if it's because they're trying to get the vote out for the upcoming election. Fine, as long as they're doing the right thing. And there's something um, very, I don't, I don't know, uh, refreshing or um, very uh, positive about hearing the president say no one should go to jail for possessing or using cannabis. I mean, that's what we've been saying for years. So that's that's progress. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I will add to that. No one should go to jail for growing mm -hmm. or selling or distributing. He's cannabis, not quite you there know, yet, so, but yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Yes. But you know what I mean? Like, where does this right. cannabis going to come from? So, I'm glad. I'm 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 very encouraged by what uh, by what he said, and I would be even more encouraged if uh, they did more as well. So, absolutely. All right. So um, that that's. Basically, the big thing that's going on in the world of cannabis right now. Um, but before we move on with the show, this being episode 101, Dan and I thought maybe we should do a little 101 content. So we thought we would do a Strains 101 uh, breeding glossary. And basically, I will give you um, a term that uh, that breeders and growers ought to know, and you will explain to our listeners what exactly that means. So let's start, uh, I guess, with an easier one. Autoflowering. 
All right. So autoflowering is a plant that flowers automatically when it reaches a certain size, regardless of the photo period. So normally we would change the photo period to 12, 12 to, to, in, to force a plant to flower. Uh, autoflowering plants have been created by breeders uh, using cannabis ruderalis genetics, mixing that uh, in. Those are genetics that come from either higher altitudes or, uh, or they have short flowering seasons. They come from uh, Siberia and places like that. Uh, and they just have like 30 or 40 days uh, to flower before the frost comes. So they have developed over time to just automatically flower at a certain height. Um, a lot of changes have happened to autoflowers and they've gotten more and more potent. Uh, this is a way that you can also grow uh, multiple crops in one season. You can plant a crop in April and harvest it in June or July and then, you know, harvest another crop in uh September, October. So uh, that's what autoflowers do. They're they're genetically, I wouldn't say engineered, but they're bred uh, to flower automatically. All right. Yeah. So that is an important term. Another one you hear a lot uh, in breeding circles is back crossing. Yes. So back crossing is a breeding practice where you, you basically uh, take a hybrid and cross it with one of its own parents uh, in order to try to stabilize chosen straits, uh, straight <laughs> traits. In order to try to stabilize chosen traits uh, and discover a unique genotype, so uh, you're basically taking a plant and and using the pollen from one of its parents uh, in order to create something that is more stable, hopefully. Uh, but again, you have to grow out that that population of seeds that you get from backcrossing and do that over time in order to actually stabilize something. It doesn't happen in the first or second generation. So it's something, you know, that breeders do uh, to try to make sure that there's not a wide variety of, of phenotypes coming out of their seeds uh, and they're a bit more stable. Okay, so there's back crossing. How about a dioecious? Dioecious is basically a plant with different uh, and separate male and female specimens. So cannabis is a dioecious plant uh, some plants have males and females on the same plant. Hermaphroditic cannabis can also have the same, you know, have, have quote unquote male and female uh, genetics on the same plant, but uh, that's an anomaly. That's not something that's supposed to happen, really. It's so uh, that basically it's a plant that has uh, some plants that are male and some plants that are female. Uh, the males pollinate the females and make seeds. Um, these are annual plants that make those seeds. Uh, that drop from the plant and then uh, spend the summer, uh, spend the winter, and then spend the winter, uh, hopefully underground, and then sprout when the uh, ground warms up in the spring. All right, there you go. And yeah, you need that because you can't breed if you don't have the male and the female, right? So um, let's go on to feminized. What what does feminized mean? Right. So feminized is a type of seed that only grows female plants. Um, so breeders will use pollen from hermaphroditic plants. It's not technically male, but it is pollen. Uh, and they will produce uh, feminized seeds for growers that don't want to grow out males. Um, the important thing here is you don't want uh, to grow plants that are hermaphroditic. So it's kind of a question of how, how do those plants become hermaphroditic, whether it was through stress induced or uh, non-stress induced factors um, and different ways that basically breeders will uh, get 
male pollen from a female pl plant genetically. Um, and that in that way, they will get feminized seeds. The important thing is uh, you don't, you know, an amateur will try to do this and they'll get half uh, female and half hermaphroditic plants. Um, the important thing is you want them to be all female. And uh, for that, you really do need to study breeding practices and uh, understand exactly what the best ways to basically force plants into these uh, hermaphroditic uh, positions is. All right. And um, when people say genotype, what are they referring to? Right. So there's a difference between genotype and phenotype. Um, genotype is the stored genetic footprint that is held within a plant's particular uh, DNA, whereas a phenotype is like the observable expression of that genetic material within its environment. So uh, genotype is kind of like fixed uh, within the DNA and phenotype um, is the expression of that DNA in an environment. Um, so uh, phenotypes can vary. Genotypes are pretty specific. All right. And, and uh, when you talk to breeders, you hear this a lot. Uh, you hear hybrid and then you hear the F1, F2 hybrid, S1. What does all that mean? Okay, so yeah, more breeding language. Again, hybrid is a combination of two genetically distinct varieties, uh, meaning you take like a sativa and cross it with an indica. Uh, the male can be the sativa, the male can be the indica, it doesn't matter, but um, two genetically distinctly different varieties uh, will result in a hybrid. Um, and that F1 hybrid is that first filial cross. Uh, there's gonna be, in most cases, a wide variety of phenotypes in that F1 hybrid, but there's also hybrid vigor, uh, which results from crossing two things that are very different from each other. Each successive cross after that uh, is is further down that road. For, so it's the first filial cross is F1. After that, it's F2, F3, F4, uh, and successively until you know you want full stability. Could be it could take you know, eight or 10 or 15 generations uh, if you really want to stabilize something uh, in particular. Uh, S1 is the result of selfing, so using pollen from a hermaphroditic plant on itself, uh, crossing this basically the same plant with itself, and that's an S1. Um, and that's the difference between, like, F1 and S1 and F2s. Also, you know, I should say I'm generalizing here. This stuff is very much more complicated. Uh, and if you really want to get into breeding uh, your own stuff, you really need to read books about these things. And uh, th th these are generalizations. This is kind of like a dumbing down of these things because I don't have hours to explain them. <laughs> but we'll give you a little introduction to that world. Um, so I remember uh, many years ago, we were talking to Ariane and the late great Franco of uh, Greenhouse Seeds and, of course, Strain Hunters, and they talked to us a lot about this. So could you uh, tell the people what land race means? Right. So land races are, uh, you know, domesticated plant varieties that have adapted to the conditions of their place of origin over many, many generations. Uh, Afghan, Highland, Thai, Lowland, Thai. Uh, Durban, pl plants that have been in certain places for so long that they're basically the established plant of that region. 
Uh, and they vary as well in genotype and phenotype. So um, there's a lot of information about land races that's not true. A uh, great article recently posted about that um, and how there's some, some bad information out there. Um, but land races are basically used by breeders that want to create new hybrids uh, by crossing them with distinctly different varieties. So if you do take an African sativa land race, for instance, and cross it with an Indi Indian indica land race, you're going to hopefully find something new in the progeny of that cross. Now you're going to have to search for it because it's not just automatically going to happen. Um, and you need large populations to choose from, but, uh, but that's kind of where land races come into the breeding process. Uh, but really what they are is, is, is domesticated plants from certain regions um, that behave somewhat similarly. Although, like I said, altitude and, and valleys and hills and all that plays a major role uh, on what you know land races are and what they become. All right, excellent. Uh, so we're running a little long. Let's just do a couple more here. Uh, uh, tell us about polyhybrids. So polyhybrids are kind of what we're dealing with these days for the most part is the genetic result of crossing um, unstabilized hybrids with each other. Um, so polyhybrids could be four, eight, you know, 12 way crosses where there's so much genetics mixed in um, that when, when they, when the seeds pop out, uh, they can differ very vastly in their characteristics. Um, and so you do wind up with a bunch of different phenotypes uh, which is nice if you're looking to choose one uh, as a mother plant in particular, uh, but you do have to be aware uh, that when you're crossing plants with each other, uh, you don't want to really cross plants that aren't really stable with each other because you're not going to get a, a lot of uh, similarity in in the results, and you're, you're basically going to create uh, a wide variety of different strains that then or I shouldn't say strains, but uh, phenotypes um, that you then have to go in and uh, and choose from and also know that like all that polyhybridization is within them as well. So if you're crossing them with something, you might end up uh, with something totally different um, because there's a lot of gene genetics that skips a generation. Um, so the grandparent can can give the grandchild uh, a observable trait that didn't exist in the intervening uh, relative. So uh, it's important to just understand that we have a lot of that going on these days, a lot of unstabilized hybrids and polyhybrids. All right. Uh, so let's just do one more. You touched on this uh, a little bit earlier, but uh, maybe you could just explain what vigor means. So yeah, so hybrid vigor, uh, um, some hybrids that are created from distinctly genetically different parents uh, will express quicker growth, uh, increased hardiness, and bigger yields uh, in that first generation, that F1 hybrid. Um, so that, that hybrid vigor, it's also known as uh, heterosis. Uh, it's kind of how new varieties are created and discovered. It's, it's, it's genetically it's evolution happening genetically uh, where these different distinct things are being crossed together and then someone is selecting something brand new out of the progeny. And I always recommend for people who want to grow up mother plants and grow the same strains over and over, first off, use uh, regular seeds, not feminized or autos, obviously, uh, for this. Um, use regular seeds. Uh, 
get the strongest, find the strongest female you can and find them from F1 hybrids, things that have been crossed uh, distinctive, distinctively genetically different parents. Um, and then that plant with that hybrid vigor can be your mother plant. And you end up with a really a plant that, um, you know, will root very easily, will grow uh, very vigorously, uh, provide nice harvests, and just have a lot of that, like, like we just say, we hybrid vigor. It's, it's, uh, it's very desirable and it's only really available in that first cross of two distinctly different varieties and it's how you find new stuff and there's a lot of new stuff out there to be found so um that's really the point of breeding it's not just to take your favorite plant and cross it with uh something similar and end up with some seeds it's to find something new to add to the gene pool and not to dilute it all right excellent so that was our um, Breeding 101 glossary for you here on episode 101 of Grow Bud Yourself. Very good stuff. Um, and we have a great show for you, a bunch of excellent cultivation information coming up. But before we get to that, we have a really interesting interview. Yeah, absolutely. We talked to uh, Jacoby Holland. He's the co-founder of On The Revel, uh, which is a uh, great brand here in New York that's uh, teaching people a lot about cannabis as it happens very quickly here. Um, and he's got a lot to say about uh, the events that they do, the education uh, that they provide, and then some. So why don't we take a break uh, and come back with our interview with Jacoby Holland, the co-founder of On The Revel. If you're a grower or you're thinking about starting your first crop, then you need to know about Sweet Leaf Plant Nutrients. Sweet Leaf has an incredible line of organic fertilizers and, of course, their legacy line that includes organic and some synthetic fertilizers. Check them out at sweetleaf.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-L-E-A-F.com. The code DANKO15 gets you 15% off everything at Sweet Leaf. That's 15% off their signature line of nutrients as well as essentials like complete indoor hydroponic grow tent kits and grow lights, plus awesome apparel, backpacks, and much more. If you join our Patreon, you'll get access to additional codes worth 20 and even 25% off. Patreon supporters also receive free Sweet Leaf nutrients just for signing up. Sweet Leaf provides all the tools necessary for the modern gardener. Check them out at sweetleaf.com and remember the code DANKO15. All right, welcome back, everybody, and uh, we have a great guest for you guys this week. Our guest is the co-founder at On The Revel. He is Jacoby Holland, along with Lulu Sway. Uh, they have founded in 2016 uh, the parent company called On The Revel uh, that's involved with a bunch of events and curated educational and networking experiences. So uh, we're going to learn all about it. Thank you, uh, Jacoby, for being on the show. Of course. Excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so tell me a little bit about your background, how you got, uh, you know, because you're an entrepreneur as well. Uh, tell me about uh, your background and also how you got interested in uh, the world of cannabis. Yeah. Um, little known fact in my cannabis relationships that I have a day job. I'm an entrepreneur in residence at Accenture. And prior to that, um, I guess the, the quick version of my story into cannabis was, 
um, fresh out of college. I w- I'm from Colorado. I was in Denver. Uh, a friend of mine, her mother or his mother was the CEO of a company called Mindful. And so a bunch of us started working for Mindful. I was the maintenance man, just like building grow tables. Um, I didn't want to go into corporate America yet. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I just became obsessed with the plant. Um, mostly as a consumer, I just thought it was cool. And then as I started to get deeper into it, I realized how important it was as a medicine. Um, so I was helping my uncle with his battle with cancer for many years. And then um, kind of the next evolution is I realized like how important it was as like an economic empowerment tool for black and brown people in the industry. So um, when I moved to Colorado, I'm sorry, moved from Colorado to New York six, seven years ago, that's kind of been my main focus ever since was like, make sure people understand what's coming and how to use this plant both as a consumer, but as a a vehicle to kind of take your career in the next um, direction. Yeah. So uh, tell me a bit a bit about what you guys do uh, with On The Revel. I, I actually uh, have attended a few of the events as well, full disclosure, yeah. and uh, had a great time. Uh, but let me know uh, kind of because you guys do online content as well as in-person experiences and events. So, uh, you know, tell me a little bit from 2016, uh, how you guys have uh, evolved and developed. Yeah, right on. Uh, appreciate you coming through. Um you know, in 2016, we had noticed myself and Lulu that like all of the events in New York were like just really stale and boring when it came to the education part. There's of course like a whole sesh culture in New York that's really cool and it's diverse and it's you know if you don't know what a sesh is, is like all of these vendors come and they're they're selling weed and you can like buy a ticket to go into like a basically a marketplace. Um. But outside of that culture, the people educating about the business and the finances, it cost a lot of money. It was boring and it didn't really attract you know people like Lulu and myself. And at that point, 60% of all of the money in cannabis was from New York, even though there wasn't an adult use market yet. So Lulu's from Washington and California. I'm from Colorado. We're both living in New York at the time. And as people that did know the industry and had tons of connections in the industry throughout the country, we're like, dude, this is New York. Like, This needs to be reflective of the culture and the people that we want to see win here. So that was kind of like the origin of, of how we got started. And as we kind of kicked off, we started to gain momentum. People just understood that like this was a completely different look at how educational events could be. And our goal was to create an environment that attracts the people we want to see. It's not just like giving free tickets to like black and brown people or like having a social equity like ticket class. It was create an environment that attracted the audience we want. So we bring in music, we bring in artists, we bring in people that um, are going to reach out of the cannabis echo chamber. And then also creating a, a, um, a format that the content is more digestible. Like we all watch... You know, now it's TikTok, but it was YouTube when we started and they're short form content. So our speakers talk for 10 minutes on stage. Um, you can digest it quickly. You could come learn what you need to and then network with a bunch of other people. So that was kind of like the foundation and, and kind of the vibe that we set. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and the event that I attended recently, uh, just this this August, uh, uh, was the Cannabis Summit and Block Party in yeah. Bedside, Brooklyn. Uh, got a chance to see Dead Prez and Styles P and uh, a bunch of great DJs as well, Beverly Bond and 
Uh, but, you know, that was the performance aspect. There was also uh, a summit during the day uh, where there was more of that educational side. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, sort of what makes New York New York unique uh, for, you know, the cannabis industry and also uh, how you guys sort of uh, promote diversity and uh, people having a voice, people from the underground, people from, you know, the legacy yeah. market. Uh, having a voice and again al harrington was there as well speaking so that was very interesting to hear uh, a successful uh entrepreneur uh dis- from from another place as well discussing uh how you know we can f- do better here in new york yeah i mean at its core like new york is the epicenter of of culture if something is cool here it becomes cool in colorado if it becomes if it's cool here it'll become cool in like hong kong right it 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 just radiates right and and we take that seriously and all these little microcosms of new york whether it's like fashion or skating or music there's little subcultures that are just they're so dope and they're extremely rich with like the different values and ways they move and the way they dress and and what they think is cool and so our goal is to kind of tap into that and uh, when when we've been building our company, building our brand, like we never really would say we quote unquote promote diversity or that like we're like a social equity brand at all. Like we're just fundamentally diverse in our interests, and like the people that are my friends are from all different walks of life, just from living here. And um, when we market and we attract people to our um, events, it just happens to look like that. And then what, the people that we put on our stage, we spend the time to first understand what does the community want to learn about. So we go to other events and I'll tell you that like if I'm not there, I'll, I'll tell one of my partners, um, hey, just write down every question that's asked. Right? If there's an OCM meeting, what are the questions people are asking? We start with that and then we go find people that can answer these questions. And it takes longer to find people of color that can answer these questions because we're like weeding through the cannabis industry throughout the nation and, and New York to see who's going to be qualified to speak on this. But that extra time is so worth it. And then our, our um, speakers reflect the look and feel of what we want the audience to feel like or to look like. So when they come to the event and they see themselves on stage or they see people like Al Harrington, who they've known from the culture and from music on stage it creates this bond between, that we're kind of like in the middle as a catalyst that makes it easier for people to to learn and feel comfortable. Because you know, for myself, I go into other events where I'm the only person not in a suit co- coat that went to like a you know a good institution, and it's just like uncomfortable for me. So we create that environment for people, and I think that's that's kind of what sets us apart. Nice. Um, now tell me about dope people. That's another. Uh... Another thing that you guys sort of curate this community. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, man. Um, dope people came along like a lot of things through 2020, right? So we were putting all these in-person events on for four or five years at that point and everything shut down. So like a lot of other people, we kind of started to dabble in like podcasts or webinars. Like how can we make sure people get this information? Because the bill for legalizing the MRTA was like, still in full force and we needed people to understand what was going on uh, before it had passed. 
So we started doing that and realized that the the information itself, gold, helpful. People are getting the game. Like that's what we wanted. But the piece that they were missing was like that community element of when you go network, meet people in the industry. And um, we're kind of like putting our heads together. Like, how can we like solve that? People are like chatting in like the Zoom webinars with each other. But once that ends, like there goes the conversation. So we ended up opening up a Discord channel. So in our Discord, people are able to like keep the conversations going. They can tap in anonymously. And people are showing like tips for their home grow. They're explaining like, hey, this is how I built my security plan for my retail license I'm going to set up. And then five other people just chime in and say, oh, can you share that with me? And oh, I need to get my other friend in here to learn this. And the the beauty of it, which originally was kind of unintentional, is like it decentralizes us from being the information hub. And now everybody else can find each other as different nodes. And we just become a platform to help them find other people. And it's been really cool. Like I've I've met people that come up to me thanking me. I had somebody like crying because they were able to quit the job that they hated because they found a job on our job board with a, with a group that they really love. And another group like found their co-founders and they came up like, dude, we couldn't have started this if you guys didn't have the Discord. And so it's been a really cool, empowering way to like bring our community together and create more value um, within itself. And you know, there's other perks like we have um, a directory so people can find like service providers that Lulu and I have vetted ourselves. Um, you know, we drop like free content sometimes if you want like a retail pitch deck to try to raise money. We have an example in there, and we're just trying to like democratize this stuff. It's all free. We want people to understand like where the resources are and not kind of like run up against the gatekeepers and kind of miss miss their opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, New York's changing very quickly in the next few years. Uh, we can see uh, the law seems to be written uh, pretty pretty beneficially, uh, but obviously there's going to be uh, outside money coming in, outside groups coming in, uh, multi-state operators. Um, what's your advice to New Yorkers in particular, but anyone in a place where you know they want they want to have ownership in the industry uh, rather than either be a figurehead uh, for one of these other companies or uh, just get shut out entirely by the gatekeepers. Yeah, I, I mean that's that's like the crux of everything that we stand for, and so there's not a simple answer to it. But some of some of the the tips I would give people is first to get started now. Right? There's a lot of people that tell me they want to start a dispensary or they're trying to figure some things out. And I'm like, dude, you're already late. So get started now. Right? Like start putting together your partners, put together like your business plan. And it's okay if you don't know all the details, like get started. The second one is to really assess like what you're good at or what your team is good at and where the gaps are. Right? So if if you've worked in, I don't know, graphic design your whole life and you're good at making logos and you know uh, Instagram posts like that doesn't mean you're going to be a good dispensary operator or it doesn't mean that you're going to be a good delivery uh, business and so understanding like what are the skills that you have and what are the skills that are required in your dream business and if you don't have those either switch it up and go with a different business model or find partners that that can kind of fill those voids for you but then the third piece I would say relative to the partners is like do your due diligence. Like there's nothing wrong with taking outside capital 
or if you have a brand or you have um, a lot of like credibility in your community, it's okay to work with an operator from another state that knows how to run. Let's stick with dispensaries, right? Let, they know how to run a dispensary. They have the SOPs and they can get it rolling for you. But you need to do your due diligence on that person. And you need to also make sure that you are represented with a solid lawyer that has done this before, right? Because too many times people go cheap on some of those details like, oh, yeah, well, they seem pretty cool. I'm sure they won't screw me over later. Or, you know, that that one lawyer that really knows their stuff is a little too expensive. I'm going to go with my, you know, my my sister's cousin is a lawyer that does real estate. Like maybe I'll work with them. And like those corners right there, those two especially, if you cut those ones, it'll bite you in the ass extremely hard later. So I, I, re- I really recommend do your due diligence on partners and make sure that you have like a good lawyer that's worked in cannabis and done some deals before um, if you're going to partner with outside capital. Yeah. And I noticed that you guys have also done uh, a boot camp for uh, people uh, as far as that transition from the legacy market uh, into uh, cannabis retail operators. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that? Are there any plans for uh, future boot camps? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you caught on like this. This was a pilot, right? So we did an all day boot camp. Um, we we brought in ten legacy operators, and you know we use the term legacy operators as people that are just like already operating today before for the legalization. And we wanted to make sure that they didn't have any shortfalls of information that they had to put in like a solid assessment of whether this makes sense for them. And anytime I talk about this, I'm, I try to be extremely explicit that like, I'm not saying that you need to go legit. If you got a good operation running packs from California and like that's working for you and your family, I, I'm not the government, I'm not the cops, I'm not gonna tell you otherwise. However, the one thing that I will tell you is it's extremely foolish not to do the due diligence to understand what would it take to go legit? What are the pros and cons? And make your best estimate of like, how is the market going to change in the next three to five years? And if you do that assessment and you decide to kind of stay where you're at or flip over, like, cool, that's up to you. But our main goal is make sure that you have all the information of like, what are you really up against? What is required? How is it going to change to the best of our ability that we can empower you? And that's what the boot camp was. Bring people in that are normally not part of those conversations. Give them all the game that we can from industry experts and set them on their way to make a decision that makes sense for them and their family. Now, it was a smashing success. It was so dope. It was really like awesome to see everybody in that room taking notes like diligently, like, you know, glued to our speakers and our pre- presenters. We connected them with like trusted service providers. And um, one of the things that we learned was like, as a legacy operator, the toughest thing to do is to trust somebody, right? Like people hit them up on Instagram and say, Hey, you know, I'm an attorney. I represent all these companies in Michigan or something. And they're like, I don't know you. I'm not just going to open up about my operation that I've been keeping covert for like 10 years. So for us to be able to vet people that we trust and say, Hey, you can, you can trust these people. They're, they're good service providers. They're good attorneys or, you know, accountants was also a big door opener. Um, but yeah, it was a pilot, man. Like it was a, it was a big success. We're looking at what we want to do in 2023. 
and with these new conditional licenses, we decided we're going to wait, see what the the state is offering people and how they're supporting those those licenses that are that are um, have their applications in right now. And if there's gaps that we think we can provide like tremendous value, then then we'll hop back in. If not, we'll probably just wait a year or two and let the industry kind of get started and then bring those services again there. But um, we do have everything online. We make sure it's free. Like if you missed out, like come come learn, get everything that you can because we don't want um, price to be a barrier. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, having just closed, I guess, the, uh, the application process for some of these licenses, at least the retail ones, not the, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, consumption lounges and things like that. Um, what changes have you seen in the New York market since founding on the Revel? Whew. You mean besides all of these gray market dispensaries on every single block of New York? <laughs> right. Well, I mean, also that's a factor of you know they legalized it, but it took it's taking two years to you know finish this application process. So there's it's legal, but there's no place to legally buy it. So of course someone's going to fill that void, um, and then potentially suffer uh, the consequences of not getting one of the licenses but you know that's a gamble that a lot of people are obviously willing to take right now uh in that gray area space uh in between uh but as far as uh yeah the market in 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 new york if there's you know anything that you've learned that could be uh advisory to other markets that uh that haven't quite yet gotten to where we're at yeah i think um you know for for people that don't know there's this kind of like gray area right now or you know, if you're operating, probably like a golden era right now, um, where we've legalized, but the state is not going to enforce kind of like commerce of cannabis until there is a regulated market up and running. So that creates this little void that a lot of people are taking advantage of. Some are not changing their business. They've been operating low key this whole time. But I think a lot of the people that we see walking down the streets are kind of just... Um, exploiting the opportunity. They're loud about it. They're, you know, they never sold weed before. And now all of a sudden they got so much weed on their shelves. And, um, I commend the OCM for deciding not to enforce it so brutally because the whole point is to not criminalize this plant. And if they were to just shut all those down, it's like, what was the point of legalizing in the first place? Um, but yeah, that's the reality. And so it's, it's kind of funky right now, but it's clearly going to end pretty soon because all these people that have invested time and money into going legit, they're going to say, Hey government, we trusted you. You need to shut all these other businesses down or you're losing money for us. So I think they'll enforce that first with probably taxes or fines and, and probably dealing with like the landlords and the real estate piece first before going to like a criminal route to shut that down. But as, as it relates to other parts of the industry, like, the legacy operators that I know, almost all of them are really delivery businesses b- before this kind of like ramp up of dispensaries. And people that really smoke like a lot of weed, in my opinion, in New York, they have been getting it from the same guy or girl for years. They text a certain line, you know, on Signal or Telegram or something, and their person delivers. They got, and like people will sleep on how sophisticated these operations are. They're tracking lead times. They're tracking like, you know, customer success and like happiness. I know these other guys that have their 
own local encrypted server, like tracking all this stuff. Like these guys are legit. And um, the people going to dispensaries today, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing, but I don't think they're actually like your heaviest consumers. Your heaviest consumers are going to their delivery people and they still will. So as the market goes legit, transitioning those delivery companies, I think is going to be fundamental for the state if they think that people are actually going to like transition in a meaningful way. Um, but the, the other piece that I'll add is that we've prioritized, we have prioritized small businesses and farmers upstate, which is dope. I love it. It has its pros and its cons as well, but like on an ethos level, I love it. Uh, but it's important for people to understand like how that's going to impact the market. Of course, first they have first mover advantage. It's a good opportunity to like build a brand if you have the the capital to build something like really meaningful. Um, the, the other part that a lot of people mention is that it's all going to it's not all it's primarily going to be outdoor weed, which for New York consumers these are like the pickiest snobbiest people I've ever met. Like they want like that indoor fire and they know their product really well. So. Um, sure, the weed's going to be a little bit different. There is also um, some greenhouse weed, of course. But like, you know, a lot of people are kind of like trashing the the hemp farmers. I'd say don't sleep on them. Like they are working with other operators that have come from out of state. They've got a lot of partnerships and they're getting people that, that like know what they're doing, cultivating. The weed is going to be pretty okay. It's not going to be the most fire in the world, but there's going to be some pretty okay weed there. What I think is actually the gap that people are, I haven't heard talked about a lot is the disconnect from those farmers upstate to their target consumer. Now, the people that have been getting it from California and Colorado on the low for 10, 20 years, they know exactly what flower their consumers want. They know it really well. The farmers that are growing upstate, I believe, a lot of them are not in touch with what has been moving on the underground circuit as well. And so that impacts like the strains you grow, the way you're going to grow the, you know, other products besides flour and trying to connect those people that know the consumer base really well and like the different like positioning with the people that are actually cultivating the product. I think there's a gap right there. So they're going to grow things that might be fire, but don't quite appeal to their particular consumer. And I think that will be an interesting thing to see like how that shakes out as the industry starts to go online. But like at the end of the day, all that weed is going to sell out, I imagine, like pretty quickly. People are going to be excited to participate. But it's not clear that they're going to convert uh, who I think are like the core consumers of the New York market. Yeah, absolutely. I have a feeling a lot of that biomass will go to, you know, vape pens and distillates and things of, of that nature uh, and and not necessarily the uh, the, you know, uh, high level flower market. Cause that's, you know, like you said, um, people know their stuff here. Um, what do you in- consider the industry's gold standard gold standard as in terms of like products or like what the industry looks like products, brands, uh, just, you know, who's, who's doing it right out there now, not necessarily just in New York, but you know, nationwide. Yeah, that that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think there's pockets of really dope companies throughout the country. And sometimes they get, you know, the love they deserve. And, and sometimes they kind of go under the radar. Um, one of my favorite is Vertosa. 
And the reason I like Vertosa is, you know, fundamentally, like if you go meet their team, like they're they're very diverse in like the skill sets they bring, the backgrounds of the people that work at their company. But what I also really like is they have hyper specialized in the industry in a way that I think you'll see happen more and more. And that's the greatest way to create like sustaining value, in my opinion. So people generalize like a manufacturing or processing license, right? And then they say, well, since we're that, we should do all of the manufacturing and processing, which means you're pumping out vape pens, you're pumping out gummies, you're pumping out, you know, drinks, whatever. Instead, these guys use their license and they hyper-focus on creating an ingredient that makes it easier for other people to make products. And like, if you look at other industries, like CPG in general, if you have a manufacturing business, just be really good at one or a few things. Don't try to like boil the ocean. So like, I think they're like a beautiful company and you know, just shout out to Vertosa. They're, they're dope. But there's, there's, um, there's many other people that are, that are like that and, and doing cool things in an ethical way and like creating meaningful value for like the people in their community and their company. Yeah, absolutely. Now for people interested in uh, connecting uh, with on the revel dope people, uh, the, the revelry events and uh, you know uh, the educational stuff, uh, networking, uh, all those collaborators and anyone just basically interested in getting into the space. Uh, how can they find out more about uh, your your company and uh, how can they join up and, and you know what's the social media and all of that stuff? Yeah, man. Uh, well, if you're interested, we'd love we'd love for you to join the community. The easiest way is to to hit up our website on com or to hit our Instagram, which is at on the revel. Uh, we have two events planned for next year. We have our annual conference, which will be um, January or February. Uh, depending on which venue <laughs> works out for me. And then we're also going to run the block party back again. Danny, you said you were there. Like It was a vibe. We decided, you know what? We're going to run it back and we're going to like triple attendance and make it even bigger. So our conference, our block party, those are ways you can come you know, see us in real life. And then through the website, you can also um, join the Dope People community. You just create an account. It's free. You get access to our Discord, free... Um, uh, resources and assets that you can download. And then you can connect with us directly. Like we're accessible. We're in the Discord all the time. You can hit us on Instagram. We reply to everything. So we're, we're all about building the community. If there's people want to, that want to get down, like we want to get down with you. Awesome. Appreciate it. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Jacoby Holland, co-founder of On The Revel. Uh, and uh, yeah, thanks a lot for being on the show. Danny, it is truly a pleasure, bro. Appreciate you and everything that you do. Right on, right on. Well, we will be back uh, after these messages with more Grow Bud Yourself. Do you want to take your cultivation program to the next level and grow higher quality, naturally healthier plants? Our new sponsor, Prime Superior, can get you there with simple, safe, and effective products. Whether you're starting with seeds, clones, or your plants are already established, Prime Superior has a product for you. And best of all, you don't have to change anything in your grow program. 
just add Prime Superior. Do you want the best biological for cannabis growing? Prime Superior's proprietary strain of Bovaria bassania increases terpenes, cannabinoids, and yield. Inoculate early with Prime Superior and you will see faster germination and larger root mass, which will help you propel your nutrient uptake. Faster growth and more photosynthesis means higher yields and more terpenes and cannabinoids. Plus, Prime Superior has the world's first biological cloning honey to help improve your cloning success. Now's the time to try Prime Superior. Grow Bud Yourself listeners can use the code PS420 for 15% off their entire order at primesuperior.com. So don't hesitate, inoculate, and visit primesuperior.com to learn more. All right, welcome back, and uh, thank you to Jacoby Holland. That was a, a very insightful interview on uh, his company, On the Revel, and everything that they're doing. So uh, thanks to Jacoby. Check out their uh, website and socials for more info. Uh, but we are now, I believe, in our cultivation segment here in episode 101, and uh, it's been a fortnight at least, so I would imagine it's time for our favorite tune. <laughs> Yes, this is a fortnight. And yes, this is a fortnight. Strain of the fortnight. What do you got for us? Uh, what do you got for us this week? Strain of the fortnight. <laughs> Strain of the fortnight. There it is. All right. Yeah, man. Well, I, it's actually been um, a couple fortnights. So it's it's high time for our strain of the fortnight. Uh, what do you have for us this fortnight? Yes, indeed. So I'm going to be talking about a strain called Banana Guava. Very uh, uh, enticing name there, but also uh, very indicative of what the strain is like. It's a very tasty, uh, sativa-dominant variety, variety, good daytime weed. Um, and also... Uh, you know, anytime you got the name banana in the name of a strain, you know, you want it to have that, that, you know, candy flavor it does have that for sure. The banana guava, uh, is definitely reminiscent of hard candy, um, with a, a hint of citrus also as kind of a welcome surprise there. Uh, it was written up by our, our friend Charles, uh, who is also kind bud photos on, uh, Instagram with a period between kind bud and photos. Uh, he reviewed a version of this that came from Maine. Uh, and again, this is like not, if you're into the gassy stuff and not the sweet stuff, it's not the strain for you. Uh, but it's got that sweetness that's really going to please uh, connoisseurs and patients that are looking for something that's not on the gassy side, but very much on the fruity uh, side of strains. And uh, Charles says it reminds him of his grandmother's banana pudding, which I think is great. Uh, and, uh, he also said, you know, it'd be great, uh, for sort of not necessarily beginners, but like people who don't want something that's like knocks you on your ass. Although, um, it does have some medicinal benefits. He mentions it helped him with his chronic lower back pain, uh, and just general stress of life, which is great. Um, and gave him a, a nice creative flow during the day. So, to me, that's really important. I, that's something I look for in cannabis is something uplifting and creative. So this one is definitely along those lines. Um, he said it gave him extra energy and enjoyment, grooving. He went to a, a, a live music festival, some reggae playing. 
so that's great. So uh, his version of this was from Arts and Craft Canna um, in Maine. You can check them out, uh, Art and Craft underscore Canna on Insta or artandcraftcan.com. Um, that's Maine Craft Cannabis. So if you're up there in Maine looking for something, uh, you know, if you're not into the gassy diesel type of flavors and you want to try some really nice sun-grown banana guava um, and get that sort of heady, energy-rich buzz, uh, which is also great for sharing with friends, check out the banana guava. Um, you may be able to get it elsewhere, but nothing beats uh, sun-grown, outdoor, amazing flowers. So uh, that is the review. That is the, the strain of the fortnight, banana guava uh, from Art and Craft Can uh in maine and i hope you guys enjoy it yeah that sounds like a tasty strain i i like the sweet stuff personally so i'm all over that one yeah and if uh if you want to learn more about it you can also go to leafmagazines.com it's one of our leaf picks on the website as well so uh there's a picture of it and uh, a nice write-up as well there uh but yeah i like the sweet stuff too i mean i, I like it all <laughs> i like the cassie stuff too uh, but I certainly I have a soft spot for any kind of candy flavors and cannabis. It's always a nice, uh, nice buzz. Indeed. All right. So strain of the fortnight, very good banana guava. And, uh, you know, our listeners know that each week you like to provide a grow tip that will help them become better cultivators. But this week you have uh, some advice of a slightly different kind. Yeah. So this week I wanted to talk about more of like the career um, how to get uh, and keep a, a job in the cannabis industry or, or or work towards a career in the cannabis industry, which is an interesting thing because, you know, I always talk about uh, the show and home grow being a way to get sort of out of the cannabis industry. But there's obviously a lot of people who want to work in the industry and especially younger people who are um, coming out of high school or college uh, looking for uh, something to do that's not you know, just basic retail or, um, you know, some kind type of basic job uh, and they want to learn while they work. So the first question is, you know, why do you want to work in the cannabis industry? And that's an important question because I see a lot of people that, you know, they like to smoke and it's a thing for them and they think it's going to be something great. And then, you know, they get into it and after, you know, a couple of weeks, a month or two, uh, the, the, the shine wears off, you know, the idea that, Hey, I'm working in cannabis wears off. And then suddenly you're basically just a worker, um, getting your 15 or, or, you know, 18 bucks an hour, uh, trimming or, or, you know, cleaning up the floor at the, in the grow or whatever it might be, but tending and, uh, the luster sort of wears off and then they start to get, uh, more disillusioned about it. And it's just another regular gig. Um, and in that case, you know, you may, that may not be the career for you and it might turn you off, uh, to cannabis in general in some ways, because, uh, it is tough out there. You know, you really do have to kind of get your foot in the door, be humble and work your way up. You know, even if you grow amazing fire weed at home in a four by four or four by eight tent, um, that doesn't mean anything once you, you start working in cannabis, you really gotta, uh, you gotta love the plant and really want to be a part of it. Uh, and you got to want to be a part of a team too, you know, where it's like you, you all work together towards a greater cause and hopefully, you know, you get a job at one of the good places because some of them really don't treat people great. And some of them really just run through people the same way other retail 
operations or food service operations do. Uh, and I think part of that is because of people becoming disillusioned and not working quite as hard as they do when they first start out. And part of it is also just because uh, they know there's always someone out there that's willing to do the job uh, because they don't want to work in retail or food service or whatever it might be. So um, you really, you got to have heart, you know, you got to get in there and work hard. Um, so if you still knowing all that want to go and do it, um, then, like I said, you got to find a job. And, um, you know, these days now they have job fairs that go on. Um, my buddy Bobby Nuggs is doing one at the upcoming Hexpo uh, on October 30th in Seekonk, Mass. Uh, I'm going to be there uh, signing books and, and giving away magazines. If anybody's in the area, please stop by and say hi. Uh, but he's having a job fair at the event where uh, dispensaries, you know, grows are there uh, looking for applicants. Uh, so you can attend one of these type of job fairs. That's always a good thing. Um, there's a lots of different websites that you can go to for cannabis careers as well. I mean, just one that comes to mind is cannabiscareerinstitute.com. Uh, they've advertised in the magazine uh, before, and 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 you know they put on a bunch of different kind of workshops uh, that you can learn how to become part of the industry. Some of it virtual, some of it in person. And, you know, they're not the only ones. There's a lot of this going on out there. So uh, that's a great way to get a job. Uh, put your ear to the street. You know, if you have friends that already work uh, for a grow or a dispensary and they're happy with their job, you know, ask them to, you know, introduce you to the hiring manager or the HR person. Uh, put in your resume. Always definitely have a resume ready uh, along with, you know, whatever else they're going to ask for, whether it's uh, one sheet on why you want to work in the industry and what makes you passionate about it, whatever it is, keep your ear to the street, uh, keep your ear to social media when they put out, uh, these calls for employees. Um, that's always a good thing. The other thing is you got to work hard, you know, get your foot in the door. You might end up being a trimmer. You might end up, uh, you know, on the lowest on the totem pole kind of situation, uh, but if you show up on time and you work hard, you will pretty quickly work your way up in these type of situations. Because like I said, there's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people that come in and out and are gone after just a short period of time. If you're not one of those people and you stick with it, um, in most cases, you're going to, you're going to move up a level, uh, very quickly, especially if you listen and observe what's going on around you, um, you know, even if you're in the trimming room, you keep, you know, keep, keep an eye on what's going on, uh, what happens in all these other sections, whether it be the grow, um, whether it be front of house as a bud tender or a manager or whatever it might be, uh, you know, just listen and learn and observe, show up on time, stay the full day, work hard, uh, and, pretty quickly, you will find that you're going to be uh, de a more desirable employee. And by that, I mean, and I tell people this all the time, make some, make your boss's job easier. You know, if you're, if you're the trimmer or whatever it is, you work and what, you know, anticipate problems. Don't just do exactly what you're told, but actually anticipate problems. If you can see a way to make the job you do more efficient bring it to your superiors and let them know, Hey, I think if we do this X, Y, and Z way, uh, we'll save X amount of money or X amount of time. 
they will appreciate that. And people want that. That's what, you know, management wants. They want uh, workers that are proactive and um, helpful and anticipate problems and aren't scared to, to bring up issues. So that's an important thing. And then, you know, like I said, love for the plant. Don't let that go. Uh, if you're in a place and you're working and you don't love it and you don't feel like there's a future there for you, there's always other places out there. So, you know, find the one you love, talk to people that already work there. If they're there for a long time and they love it, then that's a good sign that you, you probably will too. So that's really, you know, entry level wise. Now I can't really speak to the C-suite, the CEOs, the COOs and all of that. Um, you know, a lot of those people are coming out of other businesses and trying to adjust to cannabis, but I think your best bet to ever getting to that place is to actually work your way up and know, uh, different aspects of the industry. All right. Very good. Uh, helpful information to everybody there. So uh, we have now safely reached the uh, question and answer portion of our little show. And um, if you are listening and you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. You could email us. That is info at growbudyourself.com. Let's jump right in here with with Brian G. And Brian writes, "Um, Hi, how do I know when to start the budding process by switching to 12 hours of light on and off? Uh, thanks for taking the time. So, yeah, what would you say here to Brian? Yeah, that's a very good question, and I get asked this a lot. And basically, um, one of the advantages to growing indoors is you get to pick and choose when to start flowering your plants, okay? As long as they're not auto-flowering, which means they're going to flower automatically, but Assuming they're not auto-flowering, um, if you want smaller plants, you start the f- flowering period uh, after you know a week or two of veg. If you want larger plants, uh, you wait a month or longer to let the plants develop in the veg cycle. So, um, when you you know your when your plants are in veg, basically they're seedlings or they're clones, and they require at least 18 hours of light to thrive and stay in that vegetative period. Um, during that time, your plant's going to grow fan leaves. It's going to grow new shoots um, and branches, basically, that are going to are, are form into tops. Um, and while that's happening, your root system is expanding throughout its medium. So this is when you're building the basis of what your flowers are going to grow on. So think of a tomato plant. Um, if it was you know six inches tall and then it just immediately started flowering, you would have uh, basically like a two foot tall plant with maybe, you know, 10 or 12 tomatoes on it. Uh, if that plant was three feet tall and then it started its flowering period, you would end up with hopefully four or five foot tall plant with, you know, maybe 80 tomatoes or, or 60 to 80 tomatoes on it. So it's up to you indoors to do this. You, you, uh, you're in charge of, of when that happens and that when that happens, uh, is when you switch the light timer from 18 or 20 hours on to 12 hours on and 12 hours off. Uh, so that's the day-night cycle, 12 on, 12 off. Um, you trigger that by changing your light timer. Um, so when you decide to do that is also based on what size plants you want to have. Um, you're basically mimicking what happens in the, in the spring and the summer. The plants are growing uh, leaves and branches and shoots and all of that. 
and they don't begin flowering until the fall. So you're mimicking that summer to fall switch in amount of, of sunlight, but you're doing it with a grow light indoors. And that will begin to cause the plant to form flowers instead of expanding ever larger. Like a mother plant, you just want to keep in veg all the time because you don't want that plant to flower. You want to be able to take, to take clones off the plant and flower the clones. But your flowering plant, you want to, you want to flower, so you trigger that uh, day-night 12-12 light cycle, and very soon after that, within a week or two, you'll start seeing the flowers developing. Um, there's still a stretching period of several weeks uh, for most strains during that transition period, uh, and they will continue to grow during that time. So you do need to plan for that as well uh, spatially. If you have a very limited height uh, in your grow space, you want to you want to anticipate that there will be some stretching during the transition from veg to flower. Uh, but pretty soon after you've made that transition, within a week or two, you'll start seeing the the little white-haired puffballs at the end of your branches, and those are going to eventually become the thick colas of cannabis flowers that we smoke. So um, my big rule of thumb for this is you, you want to avoid having your plants become root-bound. Uh, so you vegetate basically one week for every gallon of container size. So meaning uh, if, you have, if you're going to plant your plants and grow them out in one-gallon pots, uh, you would vegetate for a week because you don't want them to get too root-bound and you're not going to get a ton off of every plant, but you're crowding a bunch of plants together. Now, if you have uh, five-gallon buckets, you can you keep those plants in veg for a month or even five to six weeks or so. Um, you'll get a much bigger plant, uh, but you're adding extra time to the entire cycle of vegging and flowering. Um, the longer the vegging period, the bigger your yield, uh, but that also requires larger containers to support a bigger root system. And that extra time, you got to also imagine leaves extra time for problems to arise as well. So uh, whether that's pests or overfeeding or whatever, um, you got to factor that in uh, and feed properly. But I would say, you know, about a gallon for every week of veg is pretty standard and won't leave you with uh, plants that are super duper root bound and not yielding as much as they should. Um, some people will veg their plants in, you know, 20 gallon containers for like three months and then flower them and end up getting, you know, a pound or more for each from each plant. Uh, but, you know, they have the three months of veg and then they have the two months of flower. So it's five months. And in that five months, you could possibly grow two gardens in five to 10 gallon containers. So you just have to basically decide how big you want your plants to be, how big you want your containers to be, uh, how much space you have and uh, act accordingly. All right. Very good. Thank you, Brian. We hope that helps you out. Uh, let's hop over to Patreon and do a question, uh, sort of a, um, I guess just a statement from McDaddy Tree. He writes, uh, hey, guys, just wanted to say thanks for the mention a couple episodes back. That means a lot. Uh, I'm really looking forward to reading the book. He's referring to your grow book um, that you get for joining Patreon. And he says, I'm also looking forward to throwing the sticker on my water bottle to show my support. Uh, thanks again for your podcast. It's been one of the few uh, that have really been keeping me sane lately, just knowing there's people out there able to do what I will get to do one day, grow, grow, grow. 
Awesome, man. Thank you, McDaddy Tree. Um, your book went out and uh, some nutrients and all kinds of stuff that you get, the stickers. I uh, hope you enjoy and hope you get to grow sometime soon because uh, it's a great, fun hobby. And uh, thank you for supporting us on Patreon. I, I'm really, really appreciative of you guys um, supporting the show in that way. And you get some cool free stuff. So, uh, you know, please uh, keep up your support. And if you're not a supporter on Patreon and listening to this, please join up. You can do it for as little as $4.20 a month. Uh, add your name and get some extra stuff and extra info. Indeedly doodly. All right. So let's uh, let's go to Facebook here. This is Richard J. And he writes, okay, guys, I have a new question. So I'm cutting the tops on these outdoor plants on September 19th. It's really sticky and gummy. I have to clean the scissors often. Then, on October 4th, I was wet trimming more bud from these monsters, and they are so much more purple and ready, but the wet trim isn't as sticky. The scissors still get gummy, but not nearly as bad. It's just a lot easier to wet trim. So, is this the plant knowing that it's going to die and just sucking up all the goodies? Also, to follow up on that question... Uh, the plant is so much more purple on one side of the bud than the other side that's more green. I assume the sun and not only cold temps aid in this color changing. Am I wrong on this? Uh, Dan, what would you say here to Richard? Yeah, so you're you're right that uh, you know one side of the bud can can develop quicker than the other side depending on uh, uh, you know where the sun's hitting it uh, outdoors for sure or how it's set up indoors um, with the grow light. Um, as far as wet trimming or dry trimming, I, I'm, I'm all for dry trim. I think, uh, you should hang plants whole as much as possible. Uh, take off the fan leaves, of course, first take off the fan leaves, but then hang the plant to dry whole. Let that, that way it dries as slowly as possible. And then after it's dry, I would say, you know, seven to 12 days, maybe, uh, then when you feel like it's dry and the the branch snaps instead of bending, then you do your trim where you basically trim all the sugar leaves off uh, as much as you need to. Uh, some growers leave some on to protect their flowers, take them off right before they, they uh, grind the, the flowers. But whatever you do, uh, definitely don't uh, – I don't like the wet trim that happens right when you harvest the plants. I just think it's it, – it, the drying process happens too quickly – uh, a lot of the moisture is released in those first couple of days and, and it leaves behind a bit of that chlorophyll grassy green taste that you can't get rid of. So I say let the plant dry as whole as, unless they're huge monsters and then you want to break them down into branches. But if it's, you know, three feet or smaller, uh, cut them down and dry them whole plant without the fan leaves and then do the, uh, trim right before you drop them into jars, uh, to cure and always trim, hang, well, always hang dry to trim, never flat on a rack or anything like that. Do it in a cool, dark place. And then uh, keep your, when you put them into the jars, same thing, keep those jars in a cool, dark place. Um, save that trim that you trimmed off for making hash and edibles and whatever else you might want to do. Uh, but uh, yeah, I do like the slow, slow, dry, slow, slow cure. Uh, really does result in a cleaner, uh, burning, better tasting product. I mean, that's if you're not using like the cryocure machine and doing it overnight, which is a whole different story and uh, a bit on the more pricey side. 
But for home growers, I do love the uh, slow dry, slow cure, dry trim. Uh, remember to hand trim, no machines, and hang dry. And then also uh, burp those jars. You know, once you've put those buds into the jars, uh, you'll notice when you go back an hour or two later that they're moist again. Release that air, release the gases that sort of build up in the jar, and then put it back in the cool, dark place. Uh, do that until you've kind of found that equilibrium and, and you'll have properly dried, properly cured bud. But uh, again, hang dry, hand trim, dry trim, uh, and then cure in glass jars, not uh, plastic or anything else. All right, there you go. Um, excellent. Thank you very much to Richard, and thanks to everybody who wrote in this week. That's going to do it for our uh, cultivation segment Q&A portion of the show. Uh, but we are going to take another question over on Patreon about where to cut clones so join us on patreon.com slash Danny Denko for the answer to uh, that question. And um, again, if you have a question you would like answered on the show, get in touch with us. That email is info at growbudyourself.com. What do you say we take a little break, come back and wrap this one up? Let's do it. Hey guys, I want to tell you about one of our favorite sponsors, Excelsior Extracts. Outcast and TOH from Excelsior are incredible people, incredible growers, and they make an amazing product. Their THC-infused pain rub is made by patients for patients, and it provides powerful relief from pain. This product was developed to treat Outcast's chronic pain, and trust me, this is a super potent topical that really works. You can find out more about Excelsior on Instagram at Excelsior Extracts. That's E-X-C-E-L-S-I-O-R-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S. Uh, DM them there to learn more about their amazing pain rub. And don't forget to tell them that Grow Bud Yourself sent you. All right, welcome back, and it's the wrap. want to thank you guys for uh, sticking with us for 101 episodes. Very exciting. Thanks to Jacoby Holland from On The Revel. Uh, thanks to Sweet Leaf Nutrients. Remember uh, the code DANKO15 for 15% off. Uh, our friends at Excelsior Extracts uh, and their THC-infused pain relief rub, sending them uh, a lot of pain-relieving love. Prime Superior Inoculant. The code there is PS420 uh, for 50%. I'm sorry, for 15. Prime Superior Inoculant. Uh, the code there is PS420 for 15% off of their products, which are incredible. Uh, you can learn all about them on episode 91. We spoke with Dr. Paul Rushton and Todd Young of Prime Superior. Um, thanks to Vapor.com. If you're ever interested in any kind of... Uh, cannabis vaporizing, smoking glass, uh, anything really. They sell everything. Um, you can get 20% off everything site-wide with the code GROWBUDYOURSELF20, the number 20, GROWBUDYOURSELF20. Um, join us, please, on YouTube. Subscribe. Uh, Patreon is awesome. We love our Patreon supporters, so please join up there. Um, want to thank all of you guys for listening and supporting us. Uh, sharing the show on social media. It's pretty awesome. 
Uh, hope you guys can make it out, at least if you're in the New York area, October 22nd to the uh, Grow class. I'll be at Hexpo as well in Seekonk, Massachusetts, October 30th, and the Harvest Cup in uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, uh, in that first weekend of November. So please uh, come out. I'll have stickers hopefully on me until they run out. Uh, if you mention the show, I should be able to whip out a sticker for you. Uh, I'm going to be selling books and magazine, giving selling books, giving away magazines, uh, and. Uh, Thank you, Mike, for 101 amazing episodes. And, uh, yeah, do you have anything to say to the people out there? Yeah, man. Uh, let's do another 101. Absolutely. Well, thank you, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with 102 in a few. And uh, let's put this one in the books. 